Ron DeSantis. Is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the compounded interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back, a true welcome back as it's been it's been a while, as they uh, as they say in nineties rock and roll. Scott, welcome back into the snap hook to you and our listeners. Yes, absolutely. I know we've had uh, we had a family vacation on our end, and I know that Tim has had an addition to the family on his end. So it's you know a lot of stuff is going on that we're going to need to catch up on. For sure, I feel like I should have opened differently. I should have been. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a. As, I don't know if you could tell, a little sleep deprived, running on uh, running on empty, as Jackson Brown says. But uh, feeling a little musical today, I guess. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I remember those days, and, and you know, it, it, they'll be they'll fly by before you know it. Uh, she'll be sleeping through the night, you know, or at least most of the night. Uh, for your sake, hopefully within the next couple of months. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Um, you know, one of the things I'm proud of already, I've got her jamming to my music uh, when she's upset. So far, I've gone to a collection of, you know, we'll call it like 70s Southern rock and just classic rock. Uh, Go to is she's a big Rod Stewart fan already, likes Maggie May. Uh, a little instrumental at the beginning, nice husky voice. She's a fan. She's a Rod Stewart fan. Uh, one thing I'll say, when, when Ann was a baby, one of the things we stumbled onto was there was like a uh, YouTube music on a CD that was actually done to lullaby kind of style. And okay. so, like you'd listen, you could kind of, you could tell, okay, yeah, that's uh, with or without you. I could kind of figure that out. But, you know, you could, uh, for the beginning, you couldn't really tell. But uh, I used to sing Pink Floyd songs to her. So I don't even know if she uh, remembers that, you know, or has like a cog, you know, one of those cosmic memory things. But yeah, uh, those are the fun days. Yeah, anything to anything to get the crying to stop. Realistically, like you're trying some, trying any any song I've got that I know the lyrics to uh, has been has been quietly sung at two o'clock in the morning. But yeah, it's been fun. It's been exciting. Um, 
you know, it's it's uh, it's been a crazy month, realistically, Scott. You know, uh, on a personal side, of things going through a, you know what's been a crazy uh, career transition now uh, after um, you know just a, a unbelievably poor end to to the to the soccer team I was working for. Um, but uh, you know, getting getting started on something new here shortly that I'm very excited about. But um, you know, a lot a lot has happened in the world of sports. A lot has happened, you know, politically or in, and, you know, you and I have discussed realistically kind of some, some tweaks we want to make to the show as well as uh, some of these changes in our life have maybe uh, cut down some of the available time that we have to record. Yeah, uh, I definitely hear that. So kind of to, uh, to dive in, you know, cause you know, we want to you know, use your time and our time wisely. Uh, one of the things I, and it, and I when I read the Bible, and we especially, you know, uh, at the church, we're going through basically Matthew chapter thirteen, which is like all the parables. And so I like in political style. I I speak in parables, and so it's, it's kind of the way I, the way that I understand things, the way that I'm able to communicate things. And so I don't know if you ever took geology. Tim in, in college or uh, I did not I did astrology I did the other way so when you're looking at fault lines you're looking at plate tectonics uh, your, your plate tectonics they can either collide together they can separate apart or they kind of groove side by side and so whenever we get things colliding or spreading apart, we get earthquakes and we get all the, you know, any matter of, uh, you know, our volcanoes, you know, derived from that. So when we look at politics, we look at the main fault line. I think that people really try to, uh, especially our media, they try to pump up is left versus right. That is one divide. It is. It truly is. But I think there are other divides that are definitely probably more pronounced that we don't even talk about. And so I wanted to take at least a few minutes this evening kind of to, you know, talk about those and, and what we could do about them. I think realistically those divides are going to go into two categories, right? The ones that we should care about the ones as society that anytime someone touches on getting people to care about these actual fault lines that we should care about something bad tends to happen to that person a la, you know, Fred Hampton. And then we have the ones that we do talk about like, um, you know, healthcare for all guns, um, child exploitation, you know, things like that. Right. Where they, they're, they're gotcha. They're gotcha false. Right. They're, they're setting us up to, you can't answer this question and be like, well, obviously I care about the exploitation of children. So like, yes, obviously I'm going to have to say, you know, yes, I care about this, but um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a gotcha. The things that we should be caring about, right. Are the divide of labor, you know, the divide of wealth from our way, labor, you know, the, the, the growing um, wealth divide in the United States, the, the, the cost of rent, the cost of food, the cost of a new car, the cost to, take out money to buy a home for a first time home buyer, right? These are the things that we should be caring about. And, and sadly, when you, when you bring up topics like that, right, it's, it's, you're called a socialist or a communist, really more of a communist because people don't understand what socialism is, but 
that's what happens, right? You can't actually talk about the real fault, the real, what should be fault lines, right, Scott? Because at the end of the day, if you're anybody but the 1%, you should be on the side of, hey, it should be easy to buy your first home. Maybe not easy, but it should be easier. Or you should be on the side of, if you work a full-time job, you should be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment by yourself. Like that's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty good fault line to stand on. But for some reason, those are the ones that get ignored and we're worried about uh, Bibles in schools or prayer in school. So uh, when I'm thinking of fault lines, like to me, I'm, I'm basing it like honest versus dishonest, assholes versus not assholes. So let me give you a, I'll give you a, a, a just a simple story. So uh, as Tim knows, and, and, and now the listeners, you'll know, uh, we went on a family vacation uh, on an Alaska cruise. Um, and it, it was a good time for the most part. I went with my parents. I went with my sister and my brother-in-law. And basically, you know, my parents are, are my dad's going to turn 80 this year. Mom's going to be 79, you know, on her next birthday. So it's one of those deals where it's one of the few, you know, opportunities we're going to have to travel with them ever, ever again. And you, you have your, you know, definitely your, your struggles, but, we're in Victoria, Canada, and I don't I don't know uh, how far Tim has traveled the globe, but Victoria, Canada, uh, the very first thing we we hey? yeah the very first thing we're thinking is we get off the boat and we're like damn man why don't we just stay screw it but you know the problem that we had was is that a one bedroom apartment in Victoria two thousand dollars a month and. You know, if we wanted to buy a starter home, like a, a, a fixer upper, that's 1.5 million. Uh, sadly, we don't have that kind of cash. So we, we we're going to get on this bus tour. And, and the, the story kind of has a point. I know I, I, I love to tell stories on this podcast, but basically we were taking a bus tour. There were two different buses that were leaving and we're just going to do an hour tour around the city. I mean, that's all we're doing. We get on the bus. And now I'm going to have nasal surgery probably within the next week. There's a whole story behind that. I'll probably get to it when we get to scumbags. So we'll save that part of the story for later. But basically, I haven't been able to smell anything in about three or four years. Well, we get on the bus and these people in the back of the bus, all oh, these toxic fumes in the back of this bus, it stinks. Oh, God, it's horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. And I'm like, I can't smell anything. Uh, Janet, you know, who, you know, we've met on the podcast. She has a very intuitive uh, sense of smell. She can't smell anything. Our daughter, Ann, she's like, I can't smell anything. But we're sitting there for half an hour because all these people are assholes. And basically what they want is they want to be on the other bus because the other bus is a double-decker bus. They think, okay, we can get on that bus and we can see better. And instead of saying that, they just said, uh, Oh, this stinks. So for 30 minutes, we're sitting there and then they're, they're kind of struggling with the whole thing of like, do we give these people their money back? Do we let them get on the other bus? So eventually what happens is the majority of us go on the other bus. We take the tour. Everything is fine. The other people are haggling over getting their money back, which was like 20 bucks a piece, you know, approximately. It was like the cheapest tour there was. Now, do I know whether these people are left or right? No. I know they're assholes. 
I know they're like, you know, basically the stereotype of the ugly American. I don't know if they're voting Democratic or Republican. Don't particularly care at this point. What I care about is like there are people in this world and you see them. And if you if you ever go on a cruise to them, you're going to see it. Uh, one of the comedians talked about the fact that who do you want to walk the plank? You know, and, and there are people on the cruise. You're like, yep, you're the you're the one you're walking the plank because you're being an asshole. So when I look at fault lines, there there's left versus right, certainly. There's honest versus dishonest. We can see that. There are people who are performance art, artists, and then there are people who are serious legislators on both sides. But then there are people who are just assholes. And I, and I think we've talked about Ted Cruz a number of times on this show, but he's a perfect example. He's an asshole. I don't care if he's left, right, up the middle, stick up his butt. I don't care. He's an asshole. And so we need to find a coalition of people who are not assholes. Sit there and say, you know what, Ted Cruz, you're going home. You're not representing us anymore. That's just an example of what I'm talking about. But I think part of the issue with fault lines is, right, there's enough other assholes out there. And sadly, a lot of them live in Texas who have made it damn near impossible for us to say, Ted Cruz, you're going home, right? Because... You had a guy who maybe he wasn't a perfect candidate, but a, a guy who really, I think, did a good job at least connecting with the youth and getting young people out to vote in Beto. Um, and, and I feel like that was about as, as good of a run for money as you could have given Ted Cruz. And, and maybe if not for voter suppression and, and, and wiping people off the ballots, which you know literally happened to me, um, maybe he wins. But at the end of the day, Texas is, is basically set up to where it's not going to happen unless it's overwhelmingly going to happen. And and that's what's, what's going to be interesting. I read a, 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 a thread on, I guess it's called X now, but uh, what was the former Twitter uh, about, you know, what, what's going to happen when, when Texas does go blue for the very first time on a national level, what's going to happen if, you know, the next presidential election and they run Trump and enough of the people in the big cities vote in a way that does not support Trump. You're going to see the 2028 election play out with a majority of every every rally is going to be in Texas, right? Because we're such an electoral win that now, you know, goodbye, Michigan, goodbye, Ohio, goodbye, all these other quote unquote swing states. Now it's Texas is up for grabs and we're living in Texas. And so, you know, these but but that's where we get back to these fault lines. At what point do they break? Right. At what point do they collide and break? And we are able to see through, you know, because part of, you know, you never want to say anything's good about an earthquake, but right, there's always that step of rebuilding, right? After it's done blowing the hell of everything up, you have to rebuild. So at what point do these fault lines pop and we're able to sit there and go, we need to rebuild this shit because, you know, we got to be damn close to that point. Like we have got to be at a point of like, there's not really any governing going on in this country anymore like what what positive government governance is, is able to actually happen because anytime biden wants to propose anything that's even close to progressive even close because it's not even really that progressive he's called a socialist and a communist the republicans get in arms and then he starts backpedaling and you know what happened to wiping away student debt that's not happening what happened to backing labor which is the base of the democratic party well that's not happening they're trying to they're trying to take out labor unions left and right so like 
at some point, these fault lines got to collide, erupt, and give us a chance to rebuild. What you got is desperation, Tim, and, and I think you, you could see it. And, and, and you know, two months ago, and on, on this program two months ago, I was sitting there and said, there's no way in hell that Trump is getting indicted. He's about to get indicted for a third time. You know, and probably four times by the time you know everything is, is but all. But he's still out. holding. But he's still holding fucking rallies, and still at this point, the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. Like, what is the fault line there? Right? At what point? Who, there are some people who are willing to just not care about the fact that this guy is indicted in four separate counts on four completely separate criminal matters, and are completely fine with him running for president. If that's not a, a dividing line in this country, what the fuck else matters at that point? You're you're all literally okay. With a at this point going to be a indicted person, maybe even a convicted criminal, running for for president, like he's he's willing to run from a jail cell, and there are people who will still wear that MAGA fucking hat in line and vote for his ass proudly. Oh, and sure. that's a problem. Oh, sure. And and what it is, and and I I said this, you know, it was on a, a Substack uh, kind of conversation uh, just today. Look at what Kevin McCarthy, he came on Fox yesterday, and he said that basically they're going to impeach Joe Biden. It's happening. And they they don't have anything solid. They, they He may have taken money from China. They can't prove it. The only guy that they have a whistleblower for is somebody who's been charged with like four or five crimes himself. I mean, it, absolutely ridiculous. There's no way. But see, here's the thing. And, and I, and think about the last time you played poker. This, and it's the only analogy I have. It's the, it's the fallacy of sunken cost. You're sitting there with Jack High. You're staring at a pair of queens up across the table. You know you can't win. But you're saying like, damn it. I've tossed $10 into the pot. If I fold now, that $10 is gone. So what do you do? You stay in. You try and bluff your ass off, and you're going to lose. But then now you're going to lose like 20 bucks instead of 10 This is what's happening. This is where MAGA's at. Because think about this. If I'm MAGA and I sit there and say, I'm out, now I've got to sit there and say, well, why am I out? Well, because he was indicted for this. But that means I was okay with all the other shit. All the other shit I was okay with. But this, this thing, I'm not okay with. Well, look at what your life's going to be. If you're a former MAGA, my God. I mean, you know, there are people who get death threats. There are people who sit there online to sit there and say to all these former people or uh, the guy I was watching an interview of the guy who wrote, uh, uh, what did he write? Uh, anonymous, the guy who was anonymous. He's gotten death threats. There are people who've looked up where he lives. They know where he lives. If you're former MAGA, MAGA is going to come around. They're going to they're gonna threaten you. Are we progressives going to welcome former MAGA with open arms? No, but what's going to happen, and this is my prediction, we're going to be a country that always has two major political parties. That's what's going to happen. So, right? So there will be 
a rift, and I think mainstream non-MAGA Republicans will just be considered, you know, the Democrats and them will merge, and then you will have the far right and the middle right, and the left will be completely gone. And then as people on the left will still be talked down to for wanting to vote for someone like Cornell West because we're the problem because now Trump could win because we don't want to vote for their candidate. When at the end of the day, you're giving me a center right candidate and a far right candidate. That's, I feel like that's, what's going to happen. We've always had two major political parties in this country. You know, we can call this new one, the Whigs. we can call it the, the know nothings. You can call it whatever the fuck you want, but you're going to have a rift in the Republican party. It's going to move further, right. And then the Democrats are going to just realign as a center right party, taking in all the MAGAs. I mean, taking in all the non MAGAs. Like, that's, I feel like we're already like 80% of the way there. Yeah. I mean, that's probably it. Because it, I guess where, where I'm coming from is that I've had discussions with people because I have a lot of friends who are on the right hand side. And I've had discussions with them. Most of them are reasonable people. Most of them are not MAGA. And I feel like individual issues, we can make headway on. And that, that's, that's kind of where, you know, my frustration lies. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, there is a bill before Congress right now in the House to treat PTSD soldiers with hallucinogenics. Do you want to guess who the sponsors of this bill are? I think one's Dan Crenshaw, isn't it? It is. Do you want to know who his co-sponsor is? It's a lefty. Uh, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head, but I remember that was a right-left one. AOC. Yeah. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine in any universe where Dan Crenshaw and AOC are agreeing on anything? I couldn't until I heard that. You want to know the last person I want to drop acid with, though, is Dan fucking Crenshaw. If I'm, if I'm being completely – like, I've never done acid, but you know who I'm not want to do it my first time with is is the one-eyed Jack, Dan fucking Crenshaw. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Maybe you. Maybe AOC. Like, she might be fun, but uh, Danny boy just uh, – the pipes are calling, man. Yeah. I, uh, if I could have a secret recorder. I probably would want to do like Laura Bobert just to see what kind of funny shit she'd say. Uh, Did you ever watch that 70s show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like the circle reference, right? Where they're in the circle. Like, could you just yeah. imagine it's coming to you? It's, it's your turn. And it's Dan fucking Crenshaw passing it over. Like puff, puff, pass. And here's Dan. Passing. There you go. Like, oh, it's good stuff. Like, that's just insanity to me. Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a Dan Crenshaw fan. But see, that's the funny thing is that, and, and you've studied history, and I know you you're very familiar with the French Revolution. And I feel like the Republican Party, minus the guillotine, which they were trying to build there on January 6th, so maybe I need to amend that statement. But it's like it, it it's engulfing itself. It's like here are these people who come on who are as conservatives as conservatives could get. And within like a year or two, people are calling them rhinos. Like Dan Crenshaw, they're calling them rhinos. Like, what the hell? Yeah, or Cheney. They want Like, Cheney is a hardcore fucking conservative, and she loses out a a challenge, uh, an in-party challenge to a MAGA because she – was willing to stand up to her own party and say, hey, we shouldn't try and overthrow our government on election day. So I think, yeah, I think we've kind of, you know, maybe run that into the ground. 
So I think uh, I don't know where you want to hit the uh, where you want to hit the sports scene first. We've had a lot happen within the last month. We have. It's been it's been a crazy. Let's let's you know let's talk about the hottest the hottest month of all. I think goes to Chaz. Let's talk a little Astros. You know, you've got a guy in Chaz McCormick that I, I can't think of anyone besides maybe myself with the new baby who's had a better month of July than Chaz McCormick. I mean, this guy is living his best life right now, uh, flipping Dusty Vega, the proverbial finger on a nightly basis as he approaches the thousand OPS on the season. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic, Scott. So for those of y'all at OPS, for the fans out there who may not be up on the Relego, that is on-base percentage plus slugging. Chaz- and for those of us in the baseball world, too, that is pretty much the best metric to, to judge the performance of a player by. Is he hitting it hard, and is he getting on base, right? Because if you're a slap hitter who's got a bunch of singles, like, yeah, you'll have a high on-base percentage, but your OPS will be low because all you're doing is driving in singles. A guy with a high OPS – for the most part, is going to have a pretty positive effect on the outcome of a game offensively. Yeah, there are other numbers that I look at, but I think it's it's digestible. That's why it makes it you know, a really good number. He's in the top ten in baseball, and and you know that makes him better than guys like Trout. I mean, it, it you know unbelievable. And and up until like two or three weeks ago, we were still hearing stories about how Dusty Baker didn't like him. And I, and I don't know. Maybe he maybe he microwave fish in the break room one day. I, I, you know, maybe he's that guy. I, I don't know. Uh, but wouldn't it be hilarious if the reason he's not playing is he's smelly lunch guy? Like he's bringing tuna subs in from Subway all the time, and Dusty's just like, "Oh my god, I can't stand this." Well, and you know, Jake Meyer has been better this year than he was last year. You're looking at him; he's a positive, you know, impact guy. Uh, in terms of feeling, in terms of, you know, offense, he's done enough to get by. But there is no comparison between these two guys. It's unbelievable. He one's like, it's got a 650 OPS. It was got like a 900 OPS. And so you're, and you're like, well, what, you know, what are we going to do? And he's still hitting them like six, seven, eight in the order. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. Um, you know, clean up tonight, by the way. Yeah. It's crazy. It was the first time ever. Yeah, and, and it looks like it worked so far. Um, so I think with the Astros, and this is where I'm at, um, I want them to go out and I want them to get like a fourth, fifth starter, and I want them to get like a middle reliever. Because basically I think what's going to decide whether this team wins or not are Altuve or Keedy and – Jordan, do they come back? Are they productive? If they come back productive, I'm like, I'm on board. I see where this thing's going. If they don't, I just don't. I mean, because basically JP France, who went tonight, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, he went on Tuesday night. Uh, if you're listening to it this, fantastic. Wednesday. It was absolutely fantastic oh, yeah. tonight. But thing is, he, he, within two or three starts, he's going to be reaching his career high in innings. So how much longer could he really go, you know, realistically. Uh, Brandon Belak, God love him. I don't want uh, him anywhere near a playoff game. I, I Yeah. Uh, Ronald Blanco, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Uh, 
Hunter Brown's going to be reaching his career high in innings, probably within three or and four lo- starts. And looks it and looks it lately. So, if you go out and you blow your wad on Dylan Cease, or the latest one, I had somebody on, I guess Twitter slash X, somebody said we have a deal done for Justin Verlander. Okay. But the thing is, is that how much are you giving up to get these guys? And I, if you could get Verlander and uh, like not have to give up a ton because you got such a high salary, but maybe send Montero back in return, be like, hey, we're both going to swap some high salary guys here. I'm okay with that. But other than that, you're right. I mean, but I love, like, we know what Verlander can do here. Uh, and and we, I'd love to have him back personally. Because basically, here's what I want. I think we have something in Corey Jolks. I think we have something in Yanir Diaz. I think we have something in Chaz, definitely. And I and I think, you know, when you're looking at the rest of this team, you know, there are guys who are doing enough to where I like the future of this team. I like, you know, I really like J.P. France. Um, and I think Hunter Brown, for the most part, I mean, he's had some rough outings. Christian Javier, other than the fact that his arm was dead there for a few starts right before the All-Star break. Uh, But the thing is, what I want is I want to be able to shut some of these guys down. Because if you keep throwing them, 2024 is going to be terrible. Because, I mean, you're going to blow out three or four arms. And, that I mean, like Phil Maton. And I, I don't understand, you know, when you look at Dusty Baker, you know, you see a lot of load management, except if you're Phil Maton. If you're Phil Maton, you're pitching every fucking day. You're going to pitch 120 games, pal, and your arm's going to fucking fall off. But, hey, you're our guy. Like I he, think at that point, Dusty would ask him to go lefty. <laughs> like Literally, if his arm fell off, he'd be like, how's the left arm feel tonight, Phil? Well, but the, the other night, the last game of the uh, – the last game of the Rocky series. He's throwing 88-89. He can't throw strikes. He didn't he doesn't get a single out. And what do they do? What does Dusty do? He pitches them on Monday night. It's like, what the hell? What did you think was gonna happen? But you know, now Baldy, you know, Baldy's playing, you know, mostly every day. And if you're hearing this, you know, on Tuesday night, you know, uh, on Wednesday, Maldi did hit a home run, so you know, good for him. Uh, it looks like we're kind of struggling here through the eighth inning. Uh, we have you know Hector Neris out there. Uh, They're studying a play at the plate right now, so um, we'll have to manage. Bang, it's bang bang. It's depending on the camera angle. Uh, I mean, it does look like this might get overturned, but we'll see because New York hates the Astros. Manager's challenge, yeah, and, and, and you know what? But oh, they overturned it. They said he's out. Oh, they man. overturned it. Oh, man, nice. It'll stay 4-1, two outs, runner on second. There you go. Okay. So, I don't understand. And so, I, I don't – I think Maldi's been hitting about 110 since May. What are we doing? He's got the th- the third lowest F war in baseball. That's Fangraph's version of war, minus 1.2 wins. That means if you took a typical AAA catcher, you would gate a win. You'd gate a win. If you put Corey Lee out there, I guess Corey Lee is better than a replacement level player. 
You're gaining two wins. So tell me, tell me, Tim, how many games are we trailing the Rangers by? Oh, I was going to say, we're, tra- we're trailing by two. And, you know, what do you know? That's what we need. Now you're muted, Scott. We're kind of doing this to ourselves, folks. Right in the middle. Uh, it, we're kind of getting back in the swing of things. So my goal for this, the, the trade deadline is let's get through the year. Let's get here's, some guys. Here's what frustrates me right now. Here's what frustrates me right now, real quick, Scott. Because you mentioned Maldonado. Like, it, it, Dusty got tired of hearing that Diaz isn't in the lineup, right? So he DHs him all the time just to shut us up with Maldi still catching. You've got a guy right now in Sugarland hitting 329 who's hit seven bombs in just 21 games. Why in the – and you've got a first baseman who's struggling. Why do we not bring John Singleton up instead of Bly Madrid as whoever, you know, or Kessinger – or uh, Hensley, who couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. Why is why is Singleton still sitting in AAA when he's hitting the cover off the baseball and we need a solid DH, and then Yiner Diaz can actually catch every night, which, again, he's a better defensive catcher, and then you can get a 160 average out, put Yiner Diaz in that catcher, you get a 260 average, and then you can have a legitimate DH power threat, or we can stop using Abreu so much when he maybe just needs a freaking day off. None of this makes any sense. Well, because he might be enjoying some of that refreshment with Dan Crenshaw. Uh, I don't think – no, no, no. He's, he's had a, a career life turnaround. Like he is even – like he – I don't – you know what? I don't care if he is, but I think the numbers show that, you know, things have changed for him. And he – I mean, the guy's hitting 329. It's – instead of bringing Blymadris up and instead of bringing Hensley up, who literally is, is a cardboard cutout in the, in the, in the batter's box – like you have a better chance with just putting a cardboard cutout out there because maybe he won't swing at the balls than you do with with Hensley getting a base hit. So it's just we are wasting a roster spot right now with with these Miley guys that we're bringing up when there's a guy just mashing down there. Okay, so basically to uh, I think to tie a bow on my problem with Dusty Baker is I can't remember that movie. Uh, I think there was a movie like where Keanu Reeves and this woman were in the same house, but like years. No, the apart. Lake House. It was terrible. It's years so frustrating. Yeah, they take talk through letters in the mailbox. And so I think that's where Dusty Baker's at. Dusty Baker is basically at the point of I'm going to pay attention to what happened last year, and what happened last year is the only important thing. David Hensley. I liked him last year. You know, I had some nice moments. Hadn't figured it out this year. It happens. I mean, you're looking at guys, and and, and, and I could sit there and you could look at guys, and, and this is where managers have to be. Seasons happen in chunks. They're not, I mean, it's not just a whole season. So let's go back to 2017. In the month of like June, Mike Fires was carrying this team. In 2017, in the month of June. I don't know if you remember that far back, Tim. I mean, but he was like the only healthy pitcher. Verlander yeah, wasn't. And, Ver, and uh, Ver, who was the one in 2020, uh, 2021 that everybody hated on? Um, same kind of thing as Fires. It was the innings eater. Uh, Feld, not Feldman. Um, God, it's going to piss me. We trade. 
God, we paid big money for him when Oh, Robert yeah, yeah, Jake Odorizzi. Odorizzi, right? Od- Odo had a good two or three month stretch where he was carrying this team. And, and no one was, same kind of scenario, right? Where guys kind of villainized, fires for a different reason. But yeah, a guy who no one really liked, but was pretty damn good for a stretch. Yeah. So basically, by, you know, and, and you know, thank God we had a manager that could, you know, follow trends. I don't think fires was on the postseason roster. Because by that point, he was trash. But you know what? He earned his ring because uh, in the month of June, he was keeping this team afloat. So if you look at the team in this prism, you mentioned Chas McCormick. Okay, and Chas McCormick in July has been the best player in baseball. If he's not the player of the month in July, he's going to have to be one of the top you know, top picks, you know, in the American League. Is Chaz McCormick a superstar? I seriously doubt it. Uh, He never, you know, produced on that level in the minor leagues. But he's the best player you have right now. And so since he's the best player you have right now, you put him in a, you you throw them out there every day and you put him in a position where he's going to do some good, like clean up. It's like, I've been waiting for freaking three weeks for this. So, and I think with the pitchers, it's kind of the same thing. Phil Maton, April and May of this year, lights out. But June, I mean, he's still pretty good June. July, he hadn't had a good July. Let's follow the trends. Let's look at who's actually pitching good right now. So right now, Hector Neris. We're at the bottom of the eighth. He pitches another score signing. His ERA has been under two over the last month. But the rest of your relievers of the pen, we're, we're doing some serious struggling. So let's, let's acquire a major league reliever. Not a great one, but we can send Joe Kendall back, or Kendall, I don't know how you pronounce that name. Send him back to the minors, thankfully. And you know, have in somebody who's decent, not a closer. But decent. And then, you know, that, that, I mean, that's just what you can do at the trade deadline. You don't have to give them up much. Uh, like they were mentioning right now that you could get Michael Lorenzen for Kessinger. That's the case. Do it fucking now. You know, no, Michael Lorenzen should not be a postseason starter. No. But he could get you through now. I think you're absolutely right. I, the the sexy Verlander or Cease or you know it'd be fun to get one of those guys absolutely but um and I, I'm more along the lines of let's rebuild this bullpen uh, realistically because it's it's not even just Montero right now outside of Abreu Presley and Neris who do you trust and, and to me the answer is nobody Stanek hasn't been good Seth Martinez hasn't been that good um, obviously Montero's been bad. So if you can go get two or three guys that, you know, from, from Miami, from Arizona, from, you know, Colorado, guys that aren't going to be that expensive and, and let's go rebuild this bullpen because that's going to, that's going to be a big thing in the, in the playoffs. We've seen how Dusty likes to use his bullpen. Um, you, you mentioned the guys that are going to be coming back. If we can get those guys coming back, you know, we've seen what this offense is, is capable of doing. It's been producing at a high level. Without them, you know, Kyle Tucker's having the season that, you know, it, when we had our preseason conversation, we talked about this guy as a potential MVP candidate. 
Uh, and since he's thrown the batting gloves on, uh, he's he's turned on to another level. So um, you definitely don't need another bat. I, I, I'm willing to give up Corey Jolks for the right starter, but not just for anybody. Uh, to me, Corey Jolks kind of projects as just a, a mid-level everyday outfielder. I, I don't see anything star potential there. And if, if, if the Mets want Corey Jolks and, and Montero for Verlander and we, and Hey, you guys pick up that salary. We pick up ours. I say do that in a heartbeat. But other than that, it's gotta be something of that level for me to even let go of a guy like Jolks. But it's been tough with Kunal because I'm friends with his cousin and she was like so pumped when he got picked up by the Astros. And so I haven't been able to talk shit on Facebook because I like I know she'll see it, and I don't want to be a dick. But yeah, he's not been good. He is, and and quite frankly, like if you saw that guy on the street, I think you'd think he's much more likely to be heading to like the barbecue spot behind the stadium and not walking into the players only entrance. Yeah, I saw some people commenting on Facebook about him, and, I, and I, yeah, I kind of feel bad. And so for those of y'all who, uh, if you you been a fan of the podcast you know i've talked about my cousin and his uh, major league career we'll put in air quotes um he got a third of an inning back in 2006 2007 somewhere around there and that was it and there are lots of baseball players who are good baseball players who never get above double a or triple a it just it happens uh Jonathan Singleton, you mentioned a perfect uh, perfect example. He's a guy that just never made it in the major leagues. He's given every opportunity and uh, given a long term contract. You know, he's certainly I don't uh, I mean I don't know if we're going to consider wealthy. I, I think he's a multi millionaire, so he's wealthy to me. Ten million dollars. Yeah, I, I, it's I'm good with that. But and, and and I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with him. He just whatever reason. It didn't happen. And so with Kano, I, I think this is kind of the same thing. I mean, he's he's a guy. He's a guy. He's, you know, probably a great guy. But just not what we need in this situation right now. Uh, with Jolks, I like what I've seen from him lately. His walk rate has increased a ton. Uh, I think he could be – he is not a guy – that I would go out and sign for multi, multi-million dollars. He's a guy, though, that I would be great to throw into left field and let him play under slave labor for three or four years before he's eligible for arbitration and say, hey, let's spend our money on something else. However, like you said, if the Mets come calling said, hey, we'll give you, you know, Justin Verlander for jokes in Montero, I'd be like, yep. <laughs> Bye, Corey. You know, come back and visit us at Clearbrook High School. You know, thanks for the memories, but yeah, I'm down with that because at least with Verlander, you know, you know what you're getting, but you know, even if at some point he's done, I mean, he's a fan favorite and you're, you're getting something on that level. So you're at least getting bang for your buck, you know, in some sense. And it just shows the team, like we're taking a shot at it, right? Like, you don't have to spend a lot to get him. You can, like you said, I, I, I think you don't have to spend a lot to get him if you're willing to take off a good chunk of that contract. If, yeah, like you're going to send Montero back, but Montero's is less than Verlander's. So, um, and, and the trend on relievers is on your off year more than a starter. So I, I think one of the, one of the things we've all been waiting for, Scott, 
you know, and, you know, we, we took some time off and it's your golf game to come around, right? We've, we've been sitting here wondering when is Scott going to play better golf? And, and one of the things that we on a podcast did is, you know, we talked about getting you fitted. You went and got fitted um, multiple times, actually. I don't know if I've, I've met someone who's had as many fittings as you, as you have Scott, but um, your new clubs are here. You played your inaugural round with your new golf clubs. And I, and I think as, as we walk through it, we can easily say with, with no swing changes, no extra practice, no nothing, you're playing better golf now simply by getting the right equipment in your hands. Uh, yeah. So to, to kind of fill everybody in, so basically I went to a company called PXG. And I went in there and they gave me a free fitting, which is not, it's not supposed to happen. Uh, you're supposed to be paying money for that. But basically they fit me into the cheapest irons they have, which ended up being 99 a piece. So, uh, they fit me with, you know, the right shaft. Uh, I was basically making better contact with them than I ever was with my other irons. And, you know, I got five through gap wedge. Uh, and then I sat there and said, you know what? I need to sell my clubs. I made a deal on Facebook. You know, Tim was urging me, hey, you know, go on, you know, marketplace. So I sold everything I had with the exception of my long John putter. Have a long John putter. I still have that. I sold it all for 400 bucks. So I had, you know, a hundred dollar gift card from, you know, for Father's Day. So I have 500 bucks. Uh, we gave each other a budget on the cruise. I didn't spend like nearly half of it. So I was like, okay, I'll chip in that. And so I bought a driver and, and a utility club, you know, to fill out so far what I have on, on the collection. So I have 10 clubs now. Went out and played today. Now, I'll say this. I shot a 92, which is actually not any really any better uh, than what I've done at Clear Creek in the past. However, I hit seven degrees of regulation, which is far advanced than, you know, what I've done, you know, since the last time I played. The last time I played, I may have hit one or two naturally. Uh, I gained about 10, 15 yards with the driver. And I gained, in, in, and I learned this very early on, I gained about, you know, a club, you know, with the irons. So you add all that up, I mean, that's like two clubs, you know, because you hit your driver 10 yards further, you're adding 10 yards to your irons. That's, you know, minus two clubs. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, when you're going from a five iron to a seven iron, you know, or a seven iron to a nine iron, I mean, that's, you know, that that's probably part of the reason why I'm hitting so many greens, but I, I hit, it was so much more solid, so much better. I did change my grip a little bit. I've weakened my grip. And so I'm not, I mean, the grip I had before I was basically strangling the club. And so I was, you know, I was hooding the ball and there was no way I was going to get it up in the air with the way that I was gripping the, the club. Uh, now it, it doesn't feel right because, you know, when you change your grip, things feel different, but I have a 10 and a half degree driver and I hit 10 fairways and, you know, I would say about half of them I'm hitting noticeably further in the air and noticeably higher. So 
all in all, I'm not happy with the final result in terms of the score, but that was with 39 putts. I did not make anything more than a gimme all day. I had one that three inches from the hole was like dead solid. Then just like dove, you know, veered, you know, straight left. But putting was not good today. They overstanded the greens. So everybody was having difficulty, you know, getting, uh, getting the ball in the hole. But all in all, you know, got to be happy with the performance definitely in the first round with those new clubs. Absolutely. I think, you know, when we were talking and early on in this process, I said, you know, I, I, I think there's no reason you shouldn't be shooting in the 80s, right? I think high high and mid-80s was kind of what we talked about that you'd like to get back to. And, you know, even with practice, maybe low 80s, high 70s, right? Um, crazy to, to think we're talking about that after a 92. But when you have 39 putts, I mean, let's say you just two-putt every green, now you're shooting 89, right? And we're, and we're right back um, – right back in that range that we talked about where I thought you should be based on, on your experience and your ability to think your way around a golf course that other people don't have. And I think it's just, what's amazing about today's technology. Uh, Cause if you think about it, if you had the injury that you had uh, in 1985, right. And let's take, you can keep the same medical technology where your shoulder is going to be where it is, but you might as well just be done with golf, right? Because, are you ever going to get a persimmon club up in the air again? Are you ever going to, you know, the, the Wilson, the Wilson staff blades or the, the McGregor tournament, you know, are you going to have fun hitting those clubs? And, and the answer is no. Right. So, um, you know, thankfully we live in a, a day and age where number one, you can go in, you can get custom fitted at a place like PXG, where, as you said, they, they gave it to you for free. Normally they would charge, but you would, they would also take it off the cost of the clubs. Um, and, w- and one of the nice things about PXG too is in a day and age where, uh, if I went into PGA Superstore and got fit for a brand new set of Mizuno irons, I'm looking at six, seven, eight weeks, uh, to get those clubs here. Scott, you got yours in like three weeks. You're, you were playing again and two weeks. Yeah. I mean, PXG, um, it, it, you don't see a lot of the pros have success with them. But I and I think a lot of people would agree because those clubs are built for the everyday golfer. They are built to help you gain distance, and they are built to have forgiveness all the way across the face. Um, and and I couldn't be happier to to see you playing a little bit better golf already. And you know, eventually, hopefully, I'll talk that long john putter out of your hands, and and we'll get you we'll get you into respectability. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You had to get that last one in, didn't you? I um, did. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that uh, actually the clubs beat the golf bag. I ordered the golf bag the same day off Amazon because I, you know, when I sold everything, I sold everything. And when I ordered the, Wait, golf hang on, real quick, after you did that, were you like, "Fuck, I need my bag," or were you just like, "Ah, oh, it's an opportunity to get a new bag"? Um, I was actually, you know, okay with getting the new bag because basically what happened was is that the the uh, the time when I ordered the bag is Amazon has like a two day sale where everything's on sale. So I bought a bag that was normally like one hundred fifty bucks for like ninety ninety five dollars, and this you know this is a nice bag. I mean it's a it's a cart bag. It's one of those that has your fourteen slots in it. Um, but you know, hey. It was, you know, kind of weird. I went to the wrong cart a few times today because I'm used to looking for the black bag that I had. But, you know, now, you know, hey, 
it was it was a good and and you mentioned the forgiveness across the face like the one shot i could think of was i was playing uh okay number seven the part that short par three so number one i'm pulling out um, we're playing at 120 i'm pulling out a nine iron which normally i you know is about you know i'm hitting my nine iron with the old club's 110 I hit this thing noticeably out on the toe. Noticeably out on the toe. I, you could feel it. I'm 15 feet for the hole. 15 feet for the hole. Uh, of course, I did not make the birdie putt. <laughs> I two-putted everything. Uh, I mean, I was two over on my seven greens. If you you know if you can imagine that. I mean, that's pretty bad. Uh, the I doubled the first hole. That was the only one I three-putted. That you know, I didn't hit the green because uh, we have a shotgun start because we're playing something called the Bandits. I don't know if you've heard of them. You you might want to uh, turn your father in onto them. Is uh, it a league? Uh, in a matter of speaking, yes. So okay. so basically, what they do is they play a different course every Tuesday. Uh, they do a shotgun start at eight thirty in the morning, and everybody throws in a fiver. And so basically, what they'll do is you're not competing in a traditional sense. They'll draw one card and everybody on the card gets to split all the collective $5 bets everybody throws in. So, you know, it's like more like a lottery than it is like a competition. Yeah, that's nice. And so I, and and they do it afterwards. So you have to go back, you know, um, and what's, what's horrible is that I go back to school a week. If you're hearing this on Wednesday morning, I've got one week until I go back to school. So I can play them next Tuesday if I'm not having surgery. And then my summer's over, which kind of sucks. But, I mean, it, it, so it's mainly retirees. That's why I said you might turn your dad onto them because, you know, it might be more his crowd. You know, because it's mainly people like in their late 50s, early 60s. So, you know, there, it might be something he might enjoy uh, because it's, it's a low pressure environment. I mean, it, you're not, you know, you're obviously not competing on that, you know, on that level. And so basically one of the things like today, double pars the max you'll take. Now, I'll sit there and stay with my 92. Uh, there might have been one or two holes where I would have gone above double. But for the most part, I'm like chipping on and, you know, three putting for my double or something like, you know, something like that. Um, I did have three bunkers that I hit and I could not get it on the green on any of them. Two of them I hit just over the green, had to chip back on. And one of them, I took what I lovingly call an Ava Braun. I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, expression. I, I mean, is it a bull to a head in a bunker? It's two of the bunker. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if you've, you know, we, we play, we have like, uh, I want to create a new game. I don't know if you've ever played Animal Golf. I have uh, not, no. Uh, Animal Golf is kind of a cool game. Uh, basically, they're bag tags. And you have like three or four positive bag tags and three or four negative bag tags. Like if you nail a putt over 20 feet, they give you a snake. And that's a positive bag tag. If you hit it out of bounds, they give you a gorilla. That's a negative bag tag. And so at the end of the round, Whoever has the positive bag tags collects from whoever has the negative bag tags. And so basically, like, if I hit an OB on the first hole, I have the, the gorilla. If you hit an OB on the third hole, 
the grill is now yours. And, and that's basically the way it works. It's like uh, Bingo Bango Bongo is kind of another uh, game that some people play. We've talked about doing this with political golf. So Ava Braun, two in the bunker. Uh, we've talked about like having a desert fox if you part out of a bunker. And so, yeah, just make it, you know, different political golf. So like if you're way on the left-hand side, maybe you're like a uh, – you're Joseph Stalin or Chairman Mao or something like that. You're way on the right-hand side. You're, you're Mussolini. You know, just something something along those lines. You know, you mentioned getting my dad out there and playing. I actually had a chance to bring him out to league with me uh, a couple times here in the last in this in our month away. Uh, I know I mentioned it to you, but I'll bring it up to the to the listeners. My dad actually had his golf club stolen out of the back of his car. Um, it was like two days after Scotty was born in the hotel. Um, oh my God, Ryan Presley! Oh, Kyle Tucker just saved the game. Four three Astros win. Um, robbed a homer after Presley just gave one up. So anyway, my dad, uh, the set that I worked so hard to fucking build for this guy, he leaves it in his car many nights in a row with a beach towel covering it. And eventually the thieves figure it out, pop the window, steal the clubs. So I now, um, you know, have to put my club finding services to work, Scott. And I, I told him, Hey, you know, normally this is a hundred dollar service, but I'm willing to I'm willing to waive that fee for you. So I went out and um, I found him a set of Mizuno irons that were uh, what we call new old stock, which are, they were brand new just from like 2008, had literally never been used. Ping driver, uh, you know, a couple of Vokey wedges, a fairway wood, and a, and a Betnardi putty for 500 bucks. And so um, first round out there with me in the, in the uh, league, I shoot a legit 34 tie for first because all these, as we mentioned, you know, sandbaggers who shoot 48 when they claim 50 and they tie me somehow. But my dad uh, ends up at one under after I, you know, his handicap was 12 on nine holes and he shot like 11 over. So my dad finished tied for fourth uh, in his league appearance and and really uh, had a nice little showing out there. So I think I mentioned this to you offline, but we, uh, when we do the golfathon, we, for years, you know, we were playing, uh, just low net. And we had to stop doing that, especially when we got more golfers. Because the thing is, is that when you're a 30 handicap and you run out there and you shoot a 95, that's a 65 net. I mean, that's, I mean, that, and so, you know, when I'm at my best and I'm carrying a 12, there's no way in hell I'm going to shoot a 77 on most of these courses. It's just not happening. And so we ended up splitting it between A and B. So we, you know, took the top half, made them an A flight, bottom half made them a B flight. Because, you know, that's the thing is that when you're sitting there, you know, when you're, you're firing a 34 in your case, I mean, that's. I don't care what course you're playing. That- I mean, I played fantastic golf, Scott. Like it was, I, I couldn't have played better. I made three birdies on nine holes. I'm draining pots. I'm, I think I hit like eight of nine greens. I mean, it was literally a perfect round of golf for me. And I, and I look up and I got, and I watched the guy ahead of me who claimed that he shot two under, you know, and that's what's frustrating, right? When you're behind this group and you, you watch them play all day, they're playing as a twosome and they're still lagging behind looking for balls all day. And then you tell me you shot two under. It's just that that's what gets frustrating. Yeah. And I think, uh, 
like when I look at today's round for me, and and this is kind of what you know something that happens I think with you know their higher handicap guys. There are three or four shots where it's like that's just ridiculously bad. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I can't justify it. Like I'm sitting on there on uh, number six. I'm playing. You know, I'm, I'm about one fifty out. Playing, I think a six iron, and I'm like, I'm on the right hand side of the fairway. I'm like. Scott, there is no reason for you to go left. There's absolutely no damn reason. What I do, I came over the cross of it, pulled into water. It's like, shit. So there's a double. Uh, but, you know, and that's what happens, I think, with these guys. And that's what happens with, I think what happens with the golfathon is when you start, and these guys don't count strokes. And, and you're not playing with them, so you don't know what they're doing. But it's like, you know, you and I are playing, you know, pretty as close to the rules as you possibly can. And these guys, you know, these other guys are like, yeah, I'm doing the judge smells. I was interfered with. And you see them the next day, you know, they're kicking it out in the fairway. And you're like, what the fuck? Come on. And that's, well, that's what the bandits do. I mean, the bandits are like, since you're not actually winning with a low score, they don't give a shit. I mean, you, you take as many moldings as you want. I, I legitimately took one mulligan. I had a tee off, off, you know, one of the par threes where it's like I just dribbled it 10 yards. I'm like, no, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, but here's here's the deal. Okay. I think we're going to slide over. Uh, we're going to uh, slide up. I, I, I just got the note. Uh, I'm going to slide over to uh, the Houston, Texas. Uh, if you're listening to this, Houston, Texas are opening up. Uh, training camp tomorrow. They just signed uh, C.J. Stroud, you know, to his rookie deals. Everybody's under contract. Uh, I know that you know DeAndre Hopkins uh, signed with the the Titans to, to follow a uh, Texans tradition of Texans wide receiver greats going to Tennessee. You know, for some reason, you know, after they've gone to you know the Texans. Uh, so I'm gonna, you know. Save this, you know, because it's kind of a scumbag move, but I I can't make them my my scumbags for the week. But the Tennessee Titans have decided that they are going to wear Houston Oiler colors. They're going to wear them twice. They can only wear them in home games. The NFL is not going to let them on the road because you know they would have brought it into Houston and just, you know, with a cascade of booze. But... uh when Tim rejoins us for the conversation, I want to see what he thinks about, you know, the whole idea of the, Houston, of the Tennessee Titans wearing Houston Oilers jerseys. Because, you know, you know they're going to wear it week 15 when the, uh, the, the Texans are in Tennessee to play them. You know they're doing this. And the thing is, is that, and I don't know how you do this, like Warren Moon said, I can't wait to you know, see these colors. It, it's, just a, it's just an incredibly stupid thing. Because I know when the original Cleveland Browns went to Baltimore, the name Browns stayed with Cleveland. Okay, all those records, you know, I, I don't, I just don't know how you do that. I don't know how, uh, how they're going to make that that work. But you know, that's kind of the big news, you know, I guess from you know the, the week, other than training camp opening, you know. As you're listening to this right now, you know, training camp is open. So I'm going to take 
C.J. Stroud, and I'm going to take Tank Dell off the table. And so, you know, the question for Tim when, uh, when he gets back with us is going to be, you know, who are you looking forward to watching the most? Taking out C.J. Stroud and Tank Dell, since I know he's a U of H Cougar. Uh, and, and I'll go ahead and answer that one. I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and pick like an offensive name and I'll pick a defensive name. And to me, I think, you know, in terms of skill position players, uh, I want to see this Valaday kid from Arizona State. I want to see what he's got. Uh, you know he's going to get plenty of carries once they start to go into preseason games because you know they, you know, Damian Pierce is not going to get a bunch of carries. Devin Singletary's not going to get a bunch of carries. And I'm going to look forward to seeing what this kid has because I think he might end up being the key to this running attack. Because I think, you know, when you look at projections, we're still projected to be less <laughs> in Russia yards. But if he could come in and he could be that third solid running back, we might be good enough to finish second in the division because it'll take pressure off of C.J. Stroud. It'll take pressure off of those receivers, uh, off of Dalton Schultz, Schultz and all those other people. So, you know, I'm definitely looking forward you know, to seeing him. And, and I think the big one on defense that I am definitely looking forward to seeing is, is Derek Stingley. Uh, because I think, you know, Lovey Smith did not use him correctly. I think Tobiko uh, Ryans is going to. So that's for me. Okay, so Tim, just to uh, bring you back up to speed, I got three questions for you. Number one, I mentioned that the Tennessee Titans will be wearing the Houston Oilers Blues on two occasions, probably week 15 with the uh, Texans are going to Tennessee because the NFL would not let them wear it on the road. Cause you know, they would have worn it in Houston just as a middle finger. Yeah. It's this whole thing. So I was wanting to get your feelings that at, but I was going to get, uh, so with training camp opening today, as you are listening, I'm taking CJ Stroud and take Dell off the table. Cause I know you're a huge cougar. I want you to pick one guy on offense and one guy on defense that you're really looking forward to see what they got. Okay. Uh, I think on offense, I'm going to go Nico Collins. Um, you know, you've got – this is it, right? This is your time to shine. You've got every opportunity in the world to go out and show us that you are who we as fans have been told that you are, right? Um if, if Nico Collins is anywhere near decent, I think our receiving core isn't half bad. Um, if he's not, then I don't think we have a very good receiving core, right? Because Robert Woods is what he is at this point, and I think Tank Dell is going to be electric. But he's also a little bit undersized. He's going to work out of the slot. He's, he's got to have somebody on the outside to draw that pressure away, away from him. So if, if Nico Collins can, can do that, uh, I think the Texans are in, in, in very good shape. Uh, I'm going to throw a second one, maybe Damian Pierce. I want to see that he can uh, repeat what he did on the ground last year, especially with a little bit of help this year where he's not just going to get burned into the ground. Uh, so I'd like to see that combination of, of offensive players. On defense, um, I don't want to be that guy, but I, I think it's Will Anderson, right? Like you spent a lot of draft capital to go get him. Some would say you quote-unquote mortgage the future um, to have this guy and – you know, he's the one that, that D'Amico Ryan's kind of picked to, to bring the tone and to set the tone on defense. So 
Um, I, I, I can't wait to see what he brings to the table. I, you know, I, I don't want people to think that this is JJ Watt or this is JJV on Clowney, right? Cause that's not the way that this guy plays, but I am excited to see the intensity that he brings and the relentlessness that he, uh, that he brings in his pursuit on defense. So uh, to kind of, uh, I know you'll be hearing this later, but I, I ended up picking Voliday on offense, uh, especially the preseason because Pierce and Singletary are not getting a ton of carries in the preseason uh, because you you want to you want to save those running backs you know for the regular season, and I think if Voliday could be like a quality third back, I mean this running back group is going to be two hundred percent better. Uh, than what it has been in the past. Because the problem is, you look at, I love Damian Pierce. When Damian Pierce was off the field this last year, our offense sucked. Yeah, and if I never see Rex Burkhead strap a chin strap on again, I'm a very happy fan. Uh, defense, I went with Derek Stingley. Because, that's a good one. Well, big because, year for him. Well, because what you know, number one, can he stay healthy? I mean, that's like that's a huge question, and it, it and that's going to hopefully be answered this year. But I think the big thing is, is that Lovey Smith just did not use him correctly. He is a man on man corner. He is a lockdown corner. You know, you you put him out on an island with the other team's best receiver, and he's going to get beat on occasion because all corners do. I mean, Jalen Ramsey gets beat. On occasion, you know, he's one of the best quarters in football. Uh, but to me, that it, it, it hurt last year watching, you know, watching you know the Jets play great football and having you know a guy that you know a lot of people thought you know we should have taken him, and instead you took Stingley. So hopefully, you know, he bounces back this year. Okay, but uh, you kind of left out. How do you? What are your feelings about? watching the Titans in Oilers colors. I've seen both sides of this argument where, you know, the team moves, the history moves with them. But I, I think it's – I hate it. I really do because it wasn't that the city didn't support the Oilers, right? We did. Um, fans loved the team. You had priests, pastors, deacons, whatever religion wants to call the person on the podium – getting people out of church early on Sunday to make sure they can get home to, to watch the Oilers and to see all that history go to a city that doesn't appreciate it. Like what do those people care about Warren moon? Well, they don't, you know, they don't care about pastor, uh, you know, pastorini or, or, or Campbell or, or any of that. And so I don't love it, but at the end of the day, you know, they own it and, all it is is a money grab, right? Like when these guys wear the jersey, it's so fans can go buy a cool new alternate jersey. There's no – the history part of it is just out the door. And and people say, well, they, they played one year as the Tennessee Oilers. Like, okay, one, one fucking year or maybe two. And then, and then they changed their name because it didn't fit. And they weren't being accepted. And when you move a team to a new city, you rebrand it. And it just sucks. You know, it really does. Um, I, I think – I think JJ summed it up beautifully on Twitter, right? Where he's someone who got it. Like he's not, he he's not from Houston. He's not a, a native Houstonian, but he spent enough time to, in the city to know that the passion that our city has for the game of football and the love that we have for the Oilers and the history of the Oilers. And to just know that like, Hey, you don't own that anymore. Kind of sucks really. But at the end of the day, as I said, it's all a cash grab. And uh, legally, we don't have any right to 
to that money, unfortunately. So unfortunately, Tim, I think you're, you're at a different stage of life uh, than I am, definitely. Uh, I just went to my 30th high school reunion uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, obviously, got some stories there. Uh, oh, sorry about that. Uh, I just went to my 30th high school reunion. So, you know, Tim and I are at a different spot in our lives. Um, and so he doesn't really, I don't think you have any real memories of the Oilers. Went to a couple games as a kid, but that's I really don't remember a single play of Oilers football during my life. Like I remember the first ever Texans game. I remember the first Texans. I remember everything about the Texans, but I, I honestly don't think I really cared about football. I, the first Super Bowl I remember sitting and watching as a kid, not going to the street and playing touch football and stuff, was Brady versus the Rams. Before that. I was I was Astros all the way and didn't really care. Astros and Rockets. I always loved the Rockets too. But I just I don't know. Like Sundays my dad worked. It wasn't as easy to sit and watch the game with them as it was at night, you know, on on for the Astros. So um, well, yeah. Now I was gonna say Mr. Royal, our principal, and, and he's passed on. Uh but uh I went to Clear Lake City Elementary. Mr. Royal, he was the principal there from when the school opened, nineteen sixty six through I think the mid nineties. Uh, so, I mean, he had, you know, he had a brilliant career. When the Oilers won, you got that Houston Oilers fight song booming over the PA. You remember the Houston Oilers fight song? The Houston, Houston Oilers. Oilers. Yeah. Houston which, Oilers. Which was also the Miami Dolphins fight song, I might add. But, you know, we, we won't talk about that. If, if we're being realistic, fight songs aren't that original. If you went through, like, all the colleges and high schools and all of them, they're, they're like, 85% similar with a couple extra horns here or there. Well, because I remember when uh, John and Lance were on 610, they had this song, you know, Houston is, is all systems go. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one that they were playing, you know, for the Astros. I, I don't like John Granado. Like, I, I refused to listen to John Granado. And the, the days that I had to intern on him and Sean Pendergast show, it was awful. Cause I, I don't like John Granado. Like, I will, I will die on that hill. Like, I, I don't think he brings a lot to the, t- to the table. And if he didn't own part of the, that station, I think he would have been out a long time ago. Well, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and I think, you know, to kind of tie this, you know, whole thing in a bow, uh, we were, I was on vacation during, you know, the, uh, the NBA's huge signing periods. We were kind of hoping that uh, James Harden would return to Houston. That didn't happen. So, I mean, I definitely have feelings on, on what the Rockets did, but, you know, I'll let Tim tee it up here first to, you know, tell us what he thinks of the Rockets hall, so to speak. Ah, it's tough, right? Because I, I think emotionally, a lot of us wanted James Harden. But I think when you look at what this team actually needed, uh, they went out and got it, right? I think someone that I follow on on Twitter by goes by the name of Roosh um, is, is a fantastic follow for anything Rockets related. Kind of pointed out you needed you needed some adults in the room, right? Like at some point, um, with all the talent that you have. You needed a couple adults in the room to say, hey, guys, here's how we go and do this. And Fred Van Fleet is absolutely that. Did we overpay a little bit? Maybe. But you're having to compete against playoff teams who want him to to take them to the next level. And we're asking him to come in and be a mentor to a young roster and, and maybe guide us to that seventh, eighth, ninth playoff seed in that play-in tournament. So you're going to have to overpay for that privilege. Um, I'm, I'm a wait and see on Dylan Brooks. I, I think I'm, I'm what I'm hoping for 
is do you remember, right, it's obviously not as good as the first one, but Major League Two, right? At the beginning of the movie, uh, they talk about Jack Parkman coming to town and, uh, hey, you know, it's it's amazing what a what a change of uniform can do for this guy. And then he covers the mind. And he's still a dick. But, like, maybe, hey, that's what it is. Maybe he's like Patrick Beverly. When he's on your team, you love the guy. But if he's not someone who's on your team, you think he's a, a an awful human being. So I'm hoping that's what it is. But if he can come in and play lockdown D and knock three pointers down, that's all we need from him, right? Like, we've got athletic ball scores. Um, I think more than anything, the thing I'm most excited for is Jabari Smith. Uh, he has been a monster in the summer league, and I get it. It's only the summer league. You're playing against half the rosters are not going to make the NBA. But still, like, he's shown a level of tenacity that I think most Rockets fans wished we saw all during the season of, like, he recognized at times, I'm the best fucking player on this court. Give me the ball. I'm going to go get mine. And he did. And I think that's something that could be really, really exciting um, going into next season. If if he could take that next, next step, um, if if Fred Van Fleet can kind of maybe chill Jalen Green out a little bit, it, it may, might be the right way to put it because, again, he's got all the talent in the world. He scored more points this year a game than he did last year. But I wouldn't say he got better. I, I would say he scored more, but I wouldn't say he's a better basketball player. So, you know, I, I think the Rockets are in a position to be, I think, a competitive basketball team this year. Scott, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I do think – uh, this team is is fighting for the play in tournament come the end of the season. So when I saw you know and and I've looked at some articles since and I think both Fred Blindbleet and Dylan Brooks have wound up on worst free agent signings list uh, because of the overpay. And I get it. Um, I think what's true about this team is the same thing that was true about this team, even if Harden had had come. This team is going as far as these young kids are taking them. You know, this team is not going anywhere unless Jalen Green becomes a literally an all-star level player. This team's not going anywhere unless Jabari Smith becomes an all-star level player. But, but um, let me ask you this. You had no true point guard on that basketball team last year. Oh, well, yeah. How are those How are those guys and, – and this is just looking at that thing, uh, what we signed. How are they ever going to become – the best versions of themselves if they're not being put in a position to do that, right? If you don't have a guy who knows how to create offense and get guys their best looks possible, everything you're trying to do is create off your own pickup style basketball. And that's not what the NBA is. These guys are too good. So I think to, to help these young guys go forward, you need to go sign that legit point guard. We can agree or disagree. I think we both agree on, on Fred Van Fleet, yeah. but the fans can disagree that that was the guy or not, but you've got also, a young phenom point guard who you drafted that you want to make sure that those guys are best fucking friends. They room on the road. Their lockers are right next to each other because you want to make sure that this guy's a professional day in and day out because you had an environment that was not conducive to supporting rookies and creating professionalism. I think we've seen some of the leaked videos that came out with, with Josh Christopher and, and Jalen green, where they're doing some naked dumb pranks on each other. Like, that's not professional basketball. Like that one, one in a world. Do you ever think Kobe Bryant and his and and Shaquille O'Neal are, are jumping up and down naked on each other? Like the answer is never because they're professionals. And at the end of the day, like I get it. Jalen didn't go to college. He went to the G League. He's still really freaking young. You need it. You need an adult in the room. And and 
and that's hopefully what Fred Van Fleet is. Well, and what I love about what they did uh, is that where's Josh Christopher? Gone. Uh, and they, they that, pick, that pick still pisses me off because Grimes is on the table. But I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll shut up. Well, the whole thing is is that we took guys who are they were you know Christopher had moments. They were okay. But they but, took him because he played AAU ball with well, Jalen Green, and they wanted to have the. They thought they'd have a good connection with each other. Well, and, and so, but basically, you took him. You took uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. Uh, he, I can't remember who were some of the other guys. Uh, Ty Ty Washington, you know, out the door. So they traded a lot of the excess stuff because here's the interesting thing about what's going to happen this year. Cam Whitmore was your MVP of the summer league. Now. You can sit there and say, "Hey, that's like being the Val Victorian summer school." Hey, I'm, okay, I, I, I you, but I would rather be the best guy in the summer league than not. But here's the question: Where's Kim? When? Where's he get minutes? I, I don't know, because you know you've got uh, so you know you're going to have Fred Flambeet, who's your you know your starting point guard. Uh, are we going, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. back up? Are we going Amit Thompson back up? I think Kevin Porter Jr. is going to play more of like a Jamal Crawford role off the bench this year, hopefully, because that's where I think he's best. It's just a a two ball, a two guard with the ball in his hand a lot, looking to make plays. But but you're right; it's going to be tough for Whitmore to find playing time because I think you're going to see Jabari play a little bit more three this year. I think he's shown that he's more of a three than he is a four. They did sign, uh, was it Lawdale, the center, backup center kind of guy? Yeah, he'll give you 10 uh, minutes a game, I think. Jeff Greed, they signed, you know, as a guy. You know, Always like him. Uh, so you've got, but you have to have those guys. It's like you said, adults in the room. You have to have those guys. You sit there and go, it's definitely Jeff Greed. He's been around the block. I think a good analogy, Scott, sorry to interrupt you. I think a good analogy is 2016 Astros, real, real young team coming off the playoff berth in 2015. They just couldn't, they couldn't spark themselves, right? They didn't know what it took to take a season that was okay and, and turn into a playoff season until it was too late. So then in the off season, what did Jeff Luno do? You got rid of the, the, the young catcher and Castro and you went and got, um, Brian McCann, you went, you had a whole DH all year and you went and got a veteran savvy, savvy guy in Carlos Beltran. And those two guys alone, you can say what you want about Beltran and, and the banging, but those two guys alone brought experience and wisdom. And, you know, Beltran, uh, Carlos Correa credits Beltran with, with a, a high velocity drill that he taught them uh, that allowed him to hit, you know, guys like Chapman very, very well. So, it's it's making moves like that to take a, a roster of young, talented guys of of Correa, of Altuve, of Bregman, and Springer. You had all the talent in the world on that 2016 roster coming off the, the playoff berth in 15. There's no reason that team should have missed the playoffs, except they were young and inexperienced, and they didn't know how to handle success. Well, and, and, and another guy you uh, you didn't mention who I think was huge on that 2017 team was Josh Reddick. Oh, very true as well. Uh, because, you know, and I don't know if you looked at his numbers, but he was a four-win player that year. He hit damn near uh, 300 that year in the regular season, and then he was as good as ever on on defense. He he went quiet in the postseason in 2017, but, um, yeah, Reddick is a great a great, well, uh, and, and, great one. Yeah, and later on, the years after that, he wasn't nearly as good. Uh, but that's okay. 
I think what the big key is, and this is where I think if you're going to tie in the Astros thing, you're tying to the leadership, but this is, the, I think, the huge deal. This is why guys like Jeff Green, I think, are huge. Van Vliet, I think, is huge. And Brooks are huge. Because when we look at this team, there are two things that this team suffered with. Number one, defense. Number two, three-point shooting. And so... What do you do? You go out, you, you, you sign better shooters. You sign better defenders. And the Astros, if you looked at the 2016 Astros, and I guarantee if you're looking at it just from the stats, you know, and I talk about personalities, whatever, they were last in the league in strikeouts. They struck out more than any other team in baseball. That's because you had Jason Castro striking out a ton. Uh, Colby Rasmus is striking out a ton. Uh, I can't remember if you had Carter still on that team. I don't think so. No, uh, no, but you had, you had Luis Valbuena. Luis Valbuena. You have all these guys who are striking out. So all of a sudden, who do you replace them with? Well, you replace them with these veterans, but you replace them with veterans who are contact hitters. Josh Reddick's contact hitter does not strike out. Uh, Beltran, he struggled, did not have a great year, but he's a guy that you know was more, he was good enough. I mean, he did enough. what he was brought in to do. McCann, world's better than Jason Castro as a hitter. So, and then, of course, you had Evan Gaddis, you know, the, who that allowed Evan Gaddis to be more of like a DH backup catcher kind of role. Uh, and, and, you know, he performed well. And too. let's not forget, too, you had a hole at first base for God knows how long. And, and the guy that we're forgetting is a big addition. It was late 2016. It was too late. Yeah. 2017, Yuli, yeah. right? You had a guy who, okay, was he a rookie in Major League Baseball? Yes, but this guy was a seasoned professional, as you're going to find in, in the international world. Another guy who's able to come in and just be a steady steady guy who knows how to knows how to prepare himself, right? What, is it, what does it take to be ready to play every single night? And I think this young Rockets team last year had no idea what it took to be mentally and physically prepared at 7 o'clock every night at first tip to be able to go out and have a chance to win a basketball game. Well, they I, had no idea. Yeah, and, and I think – but I, I think you cannot underscore enough also the fact that we're bringing in people who are going to be better shooters, who are going to commit fewer turnovers, and are going to play better defense. Because that's the, one of the things from Moneyball that, you know, that I, I think the biggest lesson I took from Moneyball is like – Instead of trying to teach guys to be patient hitters, for instance, go out and sign yourself a patient hitter. So instead of like hoping that Jalen Green will develop into a great shooter, maybe he will. But let's have some guys on the floor that can actually knock down shots. And, and that's, you know, really what's going to be the big key, I think, this year is that, you know, Vliet, he, he's, not, he's not a superstar. He was an all-star. But he's not a superstar. But what is he going to do? He's going to provide a high floor. He's going to go out there. He's going to score between 15 to 20 points. He's going to dish out between five and 10 assists. And he's probably going to pick himself up, you know, a steal or two, you know, on defense every night. And that's where, you know, and I think that's where, you know, like Jalen Green, uh, he's the biggest one where, you need to contribute something to your team every night. If you're going out there and you're firing up a five for 20, hey, bad nights happen. But, you know, pick it up on the defensive end. You know, maybe make the, the extra pass. 
you know, so that you're actually doing something to help your team win. Those are what the veterans have figured out how to do. They figured out, you know what? My shot's not falling tonight. I'm going to pick it up on defense. I'm going to get a crucial steal. I'm going to get a loose ball. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to make the extra pass and I'm going to pass it to this guy who is shooting well tonight. That's what you need to do. That's what hopefully these veterans are going to teach them. I think you nailed it. You nailed it, Scott. And there's really no other way to say then, then, um, you know, it, you, you practice what you preach and bring it in the right guys can, can really make a difference on these young players. And, and hopefully that's what we see this year. Um, as a new brand of Rockets basketball takes off with, um, basically a whole new roster, a whole new staff. Um, and, it, and it's exciting. It's exciting times in Houston. But other exciting times, you know, we've been gone for a month. There's been a lot of shitty things done, right? You know, here in Texas, I think you could stay state only and, and, and come up with a two-hour show on Scumbags Alone. Um, but, Scott, I'm going to throw it to you first and, and uh, kind of let you have it. I've got, you know, maybe one sports, one political uh, that we can get into uh, as far as our scumbags of the week go. I'm going to start off with a personal scumbag. Uh, hmm, okay. so, so when I was on the cruise, I started getting all these text messages and, you know, from debt collectors. I'm like, what the hell? You know, we, uh, Janet does a terrific job. Like she, she is organized. She stays on top of everything. We pay a lot of our bills. Then I got a phone call from a debt collector and I was like, okay, something's, you know, and I didn't really respond to it because I'm like sitting there thinking, okay, no, no you know, it doesn't mean anything. Finally, this last week, we got a debt collection notice and we're trying we're look, uh, we're at a debt collection notice and we're looking at it and I'm like, I don't know, I don't recognize who this is. So we, we fire it up and we look it up. It's related to health insurance. And so finally we're able to trace it back and we're able to figure out, okay, this was from a biopsy I had done back in January that we never got billed for. We never got billed for it. And so I call up the company and I'm like, okay, what's going on? And so they're looking at, so what's your address? And I give them our address. Like, that's not what we have. Uh, we sent the invoice to an apartment on Nass Road 1. This is where Janet and I lived when we were first married 20 years ago. That's like two homes ago. I mean, we bought a house in Piper's Meadow, lived in it, sold it, moved to our house here in North Fork, lived here for 10 years. And this is the second time they've done this. You know, when Anne was born, I swear, I think, you know, we should have put her in Hawk. You know, maybe, you know, sell her into white slavery or something like that because they could not figure out how to bill us. So uh, Clear Lake Regional Hospital, y'all are definitely my scumbags for the week, you know, on the personal end, because we sat in there before my procedure and we sat in there for an hour filling out paperwork. What the fuck happened to the paperwork? It has my address on it. It has my phone number on it. If you, if you would have, you know, if you could figure out how to bill us, call me, sit there and ask me, where do you live? 
we would have given you the address. Or, hey, you know, can you pick up the invoice from our office and pay for it there? Sure. Instead, you send it to a damn debt collector. Make us look like we're, you know, fucking backwoods idiots. And, and this is the second time they've done this. Uh, when Ed was born, we also had a debt collector, like, who was trying to figure out how to get paid. It's like, and, and finally, you know, Janet told him, he says, you know what? Every other single creditor that we work with has figured out where to send the bill, except for y'all. And, you know, and I know the administrators that are doing this are not the doctors, but they lost my results for a while. So it doesn't really inspire a whole lot of confidence in their medical staff either, even though I know they're not the same staff. But that, you know, that just stuck in my craw. And I'm sure Clear Lake Regional is not on your on your radar in terms of scumbags. So I want to throw that one out first so I can give you a chance of the first real scumbag. I'm going to follow your lead, Scott, and take a personal one here as well. Uh, for those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while, you know, um, I was sought out to take control of a, a minor league soccer team and run that team. I was shown financial records to, to show me that the uh, team was in good standing and we were good to go. Um, and unfortunately, halfway through the season, turns out that those financial records were fraudulent and the team goes out of business and throws the whole league into turmoil. Three days before my baby's due, I no longer have a job. Um, and this is not the first time I've worked with an owner who didn't have the money to run a team. It's the first time they lied about it. But it's it's getting outrageous. You know, the, the, the world of my league sports is filled with predatory fucking assholes who don't know what they're doing, who think it's fun to get into to own a team. And all they end up doing is fucking over a lot of people. Because I'll be okay. I'll, I've found a new job, start in August, waiting a background check, all that stuff. But what else happened is you convinced 30 kids to come and play for your team this summer as a chance to showcase their talents, as a chance to show the MLS scouts what they have, as a chance to move from D2 to D1, or you played JUCO and now you're trying to get that D1 opportunity. And he fucked all those kids. Six of the 30 got picked up. The other 24 who chose his team over other offers that they had threw their summer of soccer away. And it's, it's so disheartening to see these kids who did nothing wrong, who have sacrificed, who have done a lot to, you know, play on this team. Uh, and to have to, to know that not only did I lose my, my opportunity, these guys lost theirs. Um, and it was, it was disheartening. Uh, and then to see this guy after he tells me he's completely out of money is posting videos on his Instagram, uh, getting bottle service at the club with the bottle girls walking around with a sign saying RIP Gaios. Um, so my wife and I looked that up. That's a $2,500 package that he uh, ordered for himself at the club that night. But he couldn't afford to pay the rent on the stadium for one more game. So um, Eduardo Rodriguez, former owner of the – Gaios FC soccer team and owner of Eddie's Garage. You are my personal scumbag this week. Yeah. Uh, and what was so sad was that, you know, listening to you chronicle through the season, that team was damn good. We were. We were a good soccer team. We had a chance to win it all. Uh, and this guy just 
just like he I found out some some interesting stuff. Basically, he his businesses were money front. He was a bookie. And uh, I think he had a, a string of bad luck and money ran out and he didn't want to. He had several offers to sell the team to somebody else and let the season keep running. But he was um, stuck on keeping it for himself. And, and now he's in a mess of hot water. All right. So I might step on some toes here. Uh, but my political scumbag for the week is your governor and mine, Greg Abbott. And so what has Greg Abbott done? Greg Abbott has decided to weaponize the border, quite literally, and basically endanger the lives of people who are coming through. And, and I and I haven't looked because I, I don't want to get sick, but I don't know how many lives have actually been lost due to his policies just in recent days. But it's, you know, what the hell? You know, what the, I had a kid when I was one of my first years teaching who said that they ought to put alligators in the Rio Grande. And everybody kind of chuckled. But everybody kind of understood, you can't really do this. You can't actually have people risking their lives to cross a border and dying. You can't, you, you, you can't do that. Well, apparently Greg Abbott didn't get that memo. So, you know, basically what has he done? He's, uh, they're trying to influence the people crossing the border to going into more dangerous parts of the Rio Grande River. Um, they've put in barbed wire in uh, uh, different portions of the river. Uh, and for what? You're, you're, and, and I ended up writing, uh, I wrote a column today uh, for Juanita Jeans. And it was about forgiveness. And I invite everybody to, uh, to take a look at it. Because, you know, I, I found a guy who used to be a progressive uh, at the golfing event today who absolutely just tore apart, you know, one of our mutual friends and just, you know, was very ugly to them. I'm not going to go into depth because I'm not going to mention his name because, you know, that's going to end up uh, probably hurting the people that he hurt more than anything else. But, and I had to sit there and be nice to this guy. Oh, hey, how's it going? The thing is, is that I haven't really thought about him much, and that's where really forgiveness comes from. And I try not to think about Greg Abbott either, because if I think too long and hard about Greg Abbott, I'm going to get pissed off. I'm going to be a bad person. I'm going to be a mean person. I'm going to be a hateful person. I don't want to do that. But Greg Abbott, you are a scumbag. I felt like you were going to go that way, so I prepared something a little different. Uh, Cause I also agree with you, Greg Abbott's a giant piece of shit. And I don't know if you've noticed, but anytime I see someone post anything about the border, how we're at war with the border and all this other stuff, my first response is borders are made up. They're imaginary lines drawn in the sand by now dead people. That's all they are. People who died long, long ago decided I'm going to draw a line in the sand here and this is mine now. That's all it is. It is imaginary fucking lines. And we are killing people over that. The president of the United States told Greg Abbott to fucking stop it. And he sued them and said, fuck you, I'm going to keep going. So, giant piece of shit, scumbag, douchebag, fucking rotten hell. 
The person or group that I would like to bring up is Prager University. Now, for those of you who don't know who or what Prager University is, number one, not a real university. Number two, they are what I think is one of the most dangerous elements in our world right now, because what they do is they whitewash and destroy history to a point where it's not history anymore. Now we're just reading fan fiction. And Ronnie Boy DeSantis in the state of Florida has partnered and basically aligned his state's curriculum with Prager University. And I urge anyone listening to this podcast to go look up a podcast called The Audit, where they've just done a whole season going through PragerU videos and letting you just hear how ridiculous this shit sounds. Because it is. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they're, the one that everybody's bringing up on the internet is that PragerU and, and things like that argued that you know slavery taught black people skills, right? Like they learned skills. And that's obviously outrageous, but that's like not even the beginning of, of Prager University's dumbassery because enough people hear that and they go, that's fucking stupid. But when Prager U breaks down why capitalism's great or why socialism's bad, if you're not in tune or if you're not someone who pays attention to those things, it's very easy to be fooled because what Prager U does is they spend a lot of money making their videos look quality. They are well-produced, they are well-funded, and they're not poorly done. The the content is terrible, the information is god-awful, but they do such a good job putting a pretty bow around a piece of shit that they are able to convince people of, of things. They named it university. They are a straight propaganda machine that... No one knows where it is. Good luck trying to find PragerU's mailing address. I, I guarantee you, you can't. Go look it up. You won't find it. It's a disgusting disgrace that we would align a state's educational goals with a with a propaganda farm. And so this week, my scumbag is is a combination of Ron DeSantis and Prager University for trying to destroy the minds of our youth. I did see that quote. And, uh, you know, from DeSantis, and it's like, you know, you just, you're, we talked about this on an earlier episode, you know, kind of one of the things I've been doing over the last month is kind of just re-listing to some of the stuff that we produced, you know, kind of to see, you know, where we've been. And I remember talking about this, we were talking about the uh, de-extinction, I think was the name of the episode. So if you want to go back and uh, for those of y'all want to go back and reference that. We talked about the fact that people make arguments that are just so outrageous that you don't have a response. I mean, you, you're just like, what? Like, I think somebody came out, and I don't know if this was Prager, but it was based out in Florida where they talked about where uh, what the Jews learned during the Holocaust, where they talked about, well, they learned how to hide addicts. And it's like, are, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's it, pretty bad. I mean, it, it yeah, it's so it's yeah, and DeSantis's campaign is dead on arrival. I mean, yeah. this guy has no political instincts whatsoever, and the only thing that makes me a little bit cringeworthy is that people are picking on his wife, and I usually don't like picking on uh, politicians' wives. 
Like the whole stuff against Melania, it's like, yeah, is Melania a bad person? Maybe so, but I, I you know, I it, it, something makes me feel squeamish when people are making fun of you know the spouses of politicians. And and I think the same thing with with Casey DeSantis. You know, people are making fun of her eyebrows. It's like, you know, making fun of the dresses that she wears. And it's like, yeah, but yeah, Ron gives us plenty of ammo. Yeah. We don't need to. We don't need to go down that road. But I think that's about all I've, we've got time for here this evening. Um, I, I think I'm pushing the the being away from the baby clock about as long as I'm going to be able to. But um, it's been a, a triumphant return, I think, Scott. It's it's been great to to get back on with you, and I look forward to to keeping it rolling again here for the listeners. All right, so real quick, uh, where can they follow you on? I guess X now. Yeah, right, still Tim, under, Tim underscore Costello ten. Uh, you can find me at the same handle on uh, I guess Threads now is what it's called as well. Um, as I am on Threads now. I am too, and I am S, S. Barzilla on all of them, including Instagram, Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook, and all that good stuff. We still have our Facebook page. Please reach out to us. You know, we've kind of we're recalibrating the show. So if you have ideas, if you have you know suggestions, now's a great time you know to to join us and, and let us know what you think. Awesome. We appreciate everybody who made us a part of your week. We're happy to be back with you, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week on the snap hook. Thank you for tuning in to the snap hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl and his outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the snap hook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snap Hook.